Alana. And Jacqueline. And we're back for another episode of Black and Yellow. May edition. May, May, May. <laughs> we're about a third of the way through the year. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's fast. It flew by. It really did. I feel like I remember recording things about New Year's and talking about topics yes. we wanted to talk about. And then now we're here. Here we are. So I hope, speaking of New Year's, I hope everyone's New Year's resolutions are still on track, if not already achieved. I hope goals are yes. on Getting the way attained. to being achieved or they've been achieved or doing, we're like tackling new ones. Mm-hmm. I'm going to kick off this episode with a question, a loaded question. Loaded. All right. Here we go. You ready? <sighs> I'm ready. Prepared my whole life for this. <laughs> This moment right here, Alana. <laughs> Jacqueline Chung Young for a million dollars. Why are black girls treated harsher by schools and the juvenile system than white girls who behave the same way? Ooh, that is a loaded question. It's a real brain teaser, but I think actually I don't I don't know. I think there's a lot of factors that contribute to it. True. Um, I definitely want to say, like, status in society. Okay. Um, status and privilege, that definitely plays a factor. How much money they make. There you go. Their income. Okay. Um, this general uh, way of black people being treated differently amongst all spectrums. Okay. Okay. Um, yes. Whether in the court system, whether with police. Yes. Um, education as well, in the sense of like, oh, interesting, not as educated possibly because they didn't either go to college or go to high school, huh. or I don't know if education plays a part in it. Not all of them, I'm saying. No, no, I got you. They didn't have access to it or did drop out because of whatever reason. Okay. I don't know. Am I? Am I no, yeah. Plus? <laughs> <laughs> it's fun to watch you pick your brain because yes, all of those are factors. A big driving factor in today's episode is adultification, specifically the adultification mm-hmm. of young black girls. So this is a phenomenon that is nothing new if you are a black girl, you are a parent of a black child. But adultification means that from the age of about five all the way through high school, black girls are viewed as older than their white female counterparts. Okay. This is not new information. Okay. But there has been a recent study that came out at Georgetown Law. It came out of Georgetown Law, but it was funded by the Annie E. Casey Foundation. And the study is called, back to my notes, uh, Girlhood Interrupted, the Erasure of Black Girls' Childhood. Mm. And this study is all about the phenomenon of adult of adultification for young black girls. So here's just a little overview of what the study showed. So this groundbreaking study by the Georgetown Law Center on Poverty and Inequities provides for the first time that's in italics because while I think this is the first time that it's actually been on record, this again is not a new uh, thought. Mm-hmm. Data showing that adults viewed black girls as less innocent and more adult-like than their white peers, especially in the age range of 5 to 14. The report builds on similar results that have emerged from studies of adult perceptions of black boys, i.e. this study was built off of the backs of those previous studies. 
In 2014, for example, research from Professor Philip Goff and colleagues revealed that beginning at the age of 10, black boys are more likely than their white peers to be perceived at, to be misperceived as older, viewed as guilty of suspected crimes, and face police violations if accused of a crime. Compared to white girls of the same age, survey participants perceived that black girls need less nurturing, need less protection, need to be supported less, need to be comforted less, are more independent, know more about adult topics, and know more about sex. Dang. That's yes. a mouthful. Uh, totally. This, uh, this adultification phenomenon, again, like I said, starts about as young as five. That's crazy. And I know that our parents feel it as much as we feel it. And when we're young, we don't have words to put to it. Right. But if you've raised a black girl, as per a, the, the tons of articles that I read from black parents who have raised young black girls, this is a thing that happens from very, very young. It happens in schools when white kids are perceived as more innocent or white students are not thought to be guilty of something, of a transgression in class. Mm. Even if it's something as simple as um, disruptive behavior or maybe a dress code violation, something kind of subjective. Uh And it goes all the way throughout high school. The years of 7 to 11, 7 to 12 are particularly rough because that's when we're going through the beginnings of puberty. Right. So there's the adultification of black girls compounded with the over-sexualization of black girls. Right, which we've touched on a lot on this show. Totally. Right. So this line of thinking has really disastrous effects. Sure. As it goes, as we go on later in life. And negatively affects how young black girls are treated by school administrators, law enforcement, and the justice system. Totally, yep. And this, I guess, also can carry over into adulthood. But here are just some statistics. So in the education system, in light of proven disparities in school discipline, the studies suggest that the perception of black girls as less innocent may contribute to higher punishment by educators and school resource officers. Furthermore, the view that black girls need less nurturing protection and support and are more independent may translate to fewer leadership and mentorship opportunities Mm. in schools. And just so we are clear, Young black girls are five times more likely to be suspended than their white female counterparts and two times more uh, more likely to be suspended than black boys. And Dang. again, Wait, they're even two times more more likely than black boys. Than yes. Black boys? Yes. Or just what wow, that blows my mind. Because okay. that's because at that point, that's race and gender playing together. roles in that particular yeah, yeah. Uh, decision mm-hmm. to suspend, expel. Sure. If we're talking about the school system. And the reason for these suspensions or expulsions could be something as suggestive, uh, subjective as dress code violation, disobedience, or disrupting disruption in class. The Georgetown study also inferred that adultification may lead to harsher punishments for black girls in the court system because black teens are nine times more likely than white teens to serve an adult prison sentence that uh, a teenager their age who is white probably wouldn't get sentenced for or wouldn't get mm-hmm. sentenced as harshly for. I see. And you can cite, I think of someone like Centoya Brown in mm-hmm. this particular instance. What, what happened? I think I posted about her on our Instagram, but she was, Ooh, bless me. you, she was 16. <laughs> One more, sorry guys. That's okay, bless you. She was um, 16 when she 
murdered a 43-year-old man. She was essentially forced into sex trafficking from a really early age Uh and was forced into prostitution by her pimp, who was also her boyfriend. She feared for her life, and one of her clients that picked her up, she essentially shot and killed him in self-defense because she thought he had a gun. I remember, yes. And remember, you heard a lot from Kim Kardashian and Rihanna and LeBron James about Free Santoya Brown, Free Santoya Brown. She was finally granted clemency. Uh Uh-huh. But she was sentenced in 2006. It is now 2019. I think that she is scheduled to be released this August. Long time. But that's 13 years in an like in adult jail. Yeah. For and and there's a lot of other backstory behind it. Like her mother was a heavy drinker and admitted that she drank during. pregnancy up mm-hmm. to a fifth a day so there were some some mental, mental. questions in terms of Centoya's ability uh, like judgments and her ability to uh make or think clearly act or think rationally in that impulse sense? control was what impulse. i was going for okay and they they thought that she had some impulse control issues because of the fact that her mom was drinking and because mm-hmm. when she was drinking in her pregnancy that affects fetuses mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so you had the adultification of Centoya Brown coupled with the fact that Centoya Brown was essentially also being uh, arrested or unfairly judged based on her parents and, right. and her, her right. mother's raising of her or lack so, of raising of her if you will. So I'm just trying to wrap my brain around this. Isn't mm-hmm. this idea or this assumption that black kids have a certain upbringing and a certain way of living that like I'm trying to I guess go into the psychology of it of like why would you think if you take a five-year-old black girl and put it up against a five-year-old white girl what makes someone want to treat that five-year-old black girl differently than the five-year-old white girl because the color of her skin but yes because the color of her skin but because why because you assume that there's also rates rate roots of it in slavery and there's also race and gender discrimination involved as well it's not necessarily the adultification of black girls that happens regardless of what your income or status level is or regardless of what your education level is that's just a reality of Of being a young black girl in the united states yeah, yeah exactly um why people feel like this again we're oversexed from a young age we're just viewed i mean you'd have to ask these white people that think that we're older than we are at five i mean for me it's very obvious it's race racial discrimination gender discrimination roots of it in slavery that to me is super obvious i don't know why someone would want to think that right you'd have to ask them yeah to me though those those are the three factors that come into play. Mm, okay. Um, in terms of statistics, uh, young black girls in schools are often more likely to get the cops called on them than their white counterparts. So in terms of school enrollment, white girls are in the United States uh, are enrolled at a 50% rate, 16% for young black girls. Wow. Yeah. That's less than half. Uh, exactly. However... When it comes to girls getting the police called on them by school, black girls exist at about 28%. White girls are 34%. So it's kind of equal. But when it comes to prosecution, let's say that someone gets arrested on school grounds and those those cases go to court. I believe it's three out of ten white girls, meaning I'm sorry, seven out of ten white girls have their cases dropped Uh versus three out of ten black girls. Hmm. 
when discretion is used. Well, I think definitely the uh, the system, the court system in place, time and time again, has definitely not favored. No. Uh, black people? Black never. People over, never. Right, exactly. Yeah. I hear you. Yes. Cons- consistently. For sure. And we're reminded <laughs> when things like that happen again. Yeah, for sure. And this is, like I said at top of show, this is nothing new, but the implications yeah. of this way of thinking have really severe impacts on black girls who will then become black women all through life. Right. So the implication of the report's findings are, are, as Rebecca Epstein puts it, simply put, if authorities and public systems view black girls as less innocent, less needing of protection, and generally more like adults, it appears likely that they would also view black girls as more culpable for their actions mm-hmm. and, on that basis, punish them more harshly despite their status as children. Mm, that's tough, man. Right. And it's real tough. The the name of the study, again, the name of that study is called Girlhood Interrupted, the Erasure of Black Girls' Childhood. When you are viewed as older than you are at a younger age, your childhood is robbed from you. We kind of covered this in coming of age in the coming yeah. of age episode. Yeah. Um, but I think we spoke about how white kids are just able to be viewed as innocent for longer and are really uh, granted the luxury of those sorts of life phases in a mm. way that minority kids, not just black kids, are uh, used to. Mm. But ultimately, adultification is a form of dehumanization. Mm-hmm. It's not granting us the basic right to phases of life that yeah. other kids, specifically in this particular case, white kids are right. accustomed to or allowed to have. Generally. For sure. Right. Yes, there's always fine exceptions, but in a general sense, yeah. Right, 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 right. Um, Epstein goes on to say something similar to what I just said. Adultification robs black children of the very essence of what makes childhood distinct from all other developmental periods. Innocence. Adultification contributes to a false narrative that black youth's transgressions are intentional and malicious. Instead of the result of immature decision-making, a key characteristic of childhood Mm. like think about how many stupid decisions you made as a kid a lot you know what i mean yeah yeah. and for us to be severely reprimanded right for that right and also when you're a young black kid there are certain talks that we get as in childhood that i don't know if other kids get like if you saw the hate you give you would know that our parents give us the how to talk to cops talk Mm. from a very young age our parents give us the you got to work twice as hard to get half as much talk from a very young age i definitely got the talk of careful of running around with those white girls because they can get away with stuff that you can't conversation you know what i mean and it makes you it makes adult it makes childhood super tough and then those thoughts of i will not be protected i will not be nurtured carry on into adulthood and in a way feed that strong black girl narrative but in a negative way totally or the angry black woman in a negative way right Right. or the oversexed black girl or the sassy black girl it's all and i'm sure there are plenty of black women who were like fine fuck it like let me let me just be and do this way because apparently society isn't going to prove you the way of one way or another which i totally get right yeah which i absolutely get um sorry i'm losing my way here in terms of, of kids getting arrested in school, there, as I'm scrolling through my notes, sorry guys, uh, 
here we go. There was a girl in Florida a couple of years ago. She was a high school honor student Uh who was African-American. I believe she was 16 when this happened. She was arrested on school grounds after uh, making a science project. She had learned how to make a quote unquote bomb on YouTube by mixing, I think it's toilet bowl cleaner, baking soda, and aluminum foil and like shaking it up in a bottle. Okay. But she made this on school grounds. Again, she's a science student. This was a science experiment. It was a science experiment, yeah. Okay. Something that, mind you, I think had like 14,000 or 1,400 views on YouTube of other uh-huh. kids making this. She made it on school grounds. The bottle started to smoke but did not pop. And she was arrested on two felony counts of making a bomb. Yeah. Now, some people would say, well, you don't understand. We weren't overreacting to uh, arresting her. It was a week after the Boston bombings, which RIP to any of the victims of the Boston bombings. But I think to arrest a girl on school grounds who is an honor student in science, I think she was like either in the science building or in the science room. Right. Really goes to show that us black girls can't get a break. We yeah. just can't. I mean, that girl could save the fucking world. Yeah. She could hold the key some to sort the of new algorithm yeah. experiment. Yeah. But we wouldn't know that because we are so busy over policing our young black girls. They can't even do great things for the world. Well, I think you speak for a lot of black women and a lot of black people in general who at some point in their lives were charged with something more based on the color of their skin right. than the actual crime Absolutely. and therefore had a major setback in society and had to sort of waste a lot of time or pay a lot of money to get to where they are now or how to you know bow down and sort of live live very uh closed off and and small and quiet mm-hmm. in order to not disturb anything based on either the color of their skin their gender or what they have already been charged with. And it just, it it's just extremely unfair. Yeah, and also think about when you were a teenager of any color, think about how growing and thriving was so, the, the feeling of growing up and thriving and trying to find your own way and trying to find your own footing was, it felt like the biggest chore and task as a teenager. Yeah, but it, 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 chore and task because... At that age, it only seems like that's like the only thing that you can do. Like, I guess that's, that's your true. Rite of passage. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I guess I I couple that that general feeling with being a young black girl of color and feeling like you can't fully be free to figure out who you are or fully be free to express yourself or really know the bounds of your own humanity because someone is over policing yours. Yes. You know what I mean? Especially, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, well, if you've also had that sort of narrative and that talk from your parents at a young age or have seen examples of it in the news or highlighted by the media or other friends that you've actually seen, you know, be pulled over for nothing or, you know, uh, be treated in class differently than than your fellow, you know, counterpart or something, Mm -hmm. then, then... It starts to then it's you yourself as a black person uh, starts to create this sort of inner dialogue of like, well, now I can't do this and now I can't do that. And and it becomes sort of a prison. Right. Exactly. And it's either mind. Right. Yeah. And it's either no, I can't do this. Or if I do this, I run the risk of maybe getting myself in trouble with the law or trouble with whoever the person that you are just most afraid of getting in trouble with. I don't think there's enough therapy or psychology behind it or even I think maybe certain black parents 
are know that this is the world they live in and so i think it's hard to like how you can't how do you even begin to sort of fix and address the situation and in my research that was a question that came up time and time again is what is the call to action yeah because a lot of this thinking is not only subjective on the part of black america to some degree as we were as i kind of covered in the fast girl episode yeah but a very large part of white America thinks this way subconsciously, too. Oh, of course. And how do you do subconscious thinking? Because it's subconscious. Like, how do you... You don't even know that you're thinking it. You right. Know, well, that's what I mean. That's That was my question before. It's like, I don't even think some people know that they're thinking this or doing this. But based on the information they have subconsciously taken in. Right. From the media, from the news, from the stories, from movies, mm-hmm. from, from seeing things in their own life they have everyone has created some sort of unconscious belief about black girls and a lot of these people are in charge or or in some way have authority over our young black girls i.e people in the school system yeah totally teachers administrators principals deans what have you like these people are also dealing with our young girls on a day-to-day basis and those interactions are shaping or chipping away depending on the interaction uh they're chipping away or shaping our young black girls futures and the way that they look at the world and the way that they look at themselves right so you are an example of this in the sense i've lived it you are a black Girl. You were once a black young girl. Mm-hmm. So where have you, I'm sure you've experienced so many of these things that we're talking about, but specifically, is there anything that you could share uh, about how this has directly affected um, the way you think about yourself, how it, it has shaped your future and how you see society um, sure. when you were like a specific example when you were like a young when you were a young girl. Oh, totally. Do I have some? I think I've told this story on air before, but I'll tell it again. So I was in I went to a Catholic uh, K through eight. So I guess I went to a Catholic elementary school slash very early junior high. And mm. I think I was seven or eight. Second grade, that would be. I was in cahoots with a good girlfriend of mine. She was white. And I can't remember what we got in trouble for. But I remember that obviously we were in trouble and up to no good and probably should have been busted. And we both started crying. And it was with the same level of dramatics. Like crying on purpose? Yes. Like, to get uh, out of it? like we got caught. Uh, I don't want to like get in. You know, it's like when you get caught and you don't want to get in trouble. Like you don't want to rep- get reprimanded super harshly. So you try and cry your way out of the situation. Uh-huh. Thinking, I don't think I've ever done that. Oh, I've definitely done that. Ah, you're a smart girl. Well, it doesn't always work. Because again, like I'm not viewed as innocent, so it doesn't always work. Oh, I see. Okay. In this particular case, it's not because my friends and I, as we were crying, again, same level of dramatics. She is kind of embraced and taken away by our teacher in a way that seemed very nurturing, coddling, and compassionate. And I was told to stand outside. And eventually one of the other teachers came, saw what happened and basically reprimanded me for knowing that what I was doing was wrong, but also having the wrong reaction of crying like a child. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I remember being really struck by that because she and I were doing the exact same thing. We got busted on the exact same for the exact same thing. We were reacting in the exact same way. But for some reason, her reaction elicited a warm comforting nurturing response and mine elicited a 
don't do that ever again. I'm going to be harsh. I'm going to be stern. And I'm going to be very strict in the way that I deal with you. And I couldn't figure it out as a kid. But as an adult, later on, it started to hit me like, oh, this is actually what was happening because she was viewed as young and innocent and sweet. And as we know, like white girls tears have more value than black girls tears. She got the coddling and I got like the finger wagging session. And did you ever ask her or like after that ever like... She and I are still friends to this day. Like me and this girl, she actually listens to the show. She and I have talked about this very uh, experience. But again, when you're eight, you don't really know what's going on. At eight, you're not aware of how racial politics are playing into. And also, to be perfectly honest, Uh as an eight year old, that's not something you should even be aware of. Right. But like like we've been talking about and as you're saying everything, unfortunately, you do eventually become aware of that stuff as an eight-year-old or even younger if you are having these continuing experiences over and over again. You'll you'll get it, you know? Like, you'll find a way to be like, whoa, something really weird here over time. Not you, I'm saying. But but, how amazing would it be... But that you really shouldn't. Absolutely. And how amazing would it be for the formation of, of young black girls' spirits and minds and just overall positive life ethoses if they could spend less time worrying about how they look and how that translates to them moving through the world yeah. and maybe focusing on their studies call me yeah. crazy right. but like school is a place where we learn right yeah why not just allow them to do that why yeah. not just allow them the basic uh right to knowledge and education that white chicks have yeah why can't young black girls have the same thing? Right, right. And I, and in that respect, I blame teachers. And for me, and when I think back on this particular episode, I'm like furious with Miss Krieger. Like, oh, fuck you, Miss Krieger. Um, <laughs> what? No, it was great the way he said that. Because, well, because that was an event that shaped you. Right. And because she responded like that, I am now sitting here on a podcast two decades later talking about that very event or a yeah. little bit less than two decades later yeah. talking about that very event yeah. or another Did you go home and tell your parents I told them that I got in trouble but again at eight I'm like I think I might have said something akin to she and I got in trouble we were both crying I was screamed at she wasn't like I'm sure it wasn't super um fleshed Obvious. out and yeah, yeah exactly yeah. and i all again like you're a child you're, you're really learning. just trying to clear your yeah. name like right. you know what i mean Well, at, honestly when you're a child and we've seen it across you know people talk a bit about it all the time you're not seeing colors right right when that happens to you right. you're not seeing right away like well she's white and i'm black totally. you're, that's not where you go to you see kids in life all the time they don't see color they don't see gender they don't see race they don't see status they mm-hmm. are a ball of joy they come into this world without maybe you know maybe subconsciously somewhere deep in their soul whatever life they lived before but i'm a firm believer in past lives but uh, i don't think that is something as an eight-year-old that you even think about or question you know yeah or are even able to put those racial politics together yeah you know what i mean yeah, you're eight or if we want to fast forward i think i might have been about 13 when this particular event happened but i remember look all i feel like all teenage girls go through like a hot mama phase lord knows i did where i 
was hitting puberty and wanted to wear revealing clothes or tight clothes or yeah. low rise jeans yeah, you were want, all the things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Even if I don't quite know what kind of attention it is. You, know, you just want it. Absolutely. Yep. Good or bad. I want it. <laughs> yeah. And I remember going to Ventura County, I believe, with my parents. And I remember very clearly the outfit I was wearing. It was like a one tank top with one strap and it was like tied up with shoelaces on the side <laughs> and low rise jeans and I think that the shirt said something like sweetie or honey or cutie <laughs> like, like yeah, yeah like one of those kinds of it outfits like glitter letters uh, or something. the worst <laughs> yeah like cheesy flip flops yeah. like really bell, like bell bottoms and, like low, yeah. yes oh my god yes frayed at the top yeah. like Britney Spears status <laughs> I remember we went to some sort of open air fair and before we left the uh, the hotel, my parents were like, you might want to put some clothes on. You might want to cover up. And I was like, well, whatever. I'll be fine because I'm 13 and I just That's know so everything. nice that they let you express yourself. Well, at a certain point, we get to... <laughs> you learned your lesson. This open air fair. And I remember getting looked at by an older guy. When I say older, I mean like 45, 50 in a way that I just was not able to process. Like you felt violated? I just wasn't able to process the way that he was looking at me and and the look that was in his eye. It just felt weird. It just felt strange. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. You were 13. And obviously, looking back, it's this guy was sexualizing me. The way I was dressed, the age, all of that stuff. Right. But I remember turning around and my parents being nowhere to be found. Oh. Like nowhere to be found. I remember really feeling like, oh my God. You're in trouble. I'm in trouble. And eventually, I turned back around. The guy walked away. I turned, I like looked around a little bit more. And my parents were just like standing off to the side at some stand or something. Uh -huh. But it was a very intentional, like, we are moving over here so you can see what it's like when you dress provocatively. <laughs> that's the attention you get. And I, and for some yeah. people listening, they might think, well, yeah, like that's how you teach a young girl to dress not provocatively. But for me, not only did I internalize, this is what happens when you dress sexy, so how dare you? But it's also because I'm black. Well, no, but also no one will be there to protect you. Oh. You see what I'm saying? Like, you're trying to send... My parents definitely tried to teach me a lesson, which they taught, but in as well as teaching me a lesson, there was also a message that was being sent about who is protected and who is safe and who is not. Mm. And... I'm going to go on record and say, I don't know if that was the right way to handle that situation. Yeah. Because I've then gone on and been in situations where I have been scantily clad and I have had guys come to my rescue. Right. So I think to to send a message of if you dress skimpily, you will not be safe. Right. It can be really damning and detrimental to a young and developing girl. Yeah. Well, I also think, too. It's tough because, look, I don't have a black child. I am not a parent and I am not black. But I can somehow understand that I can I can relate in the sense of like there are certain things my mom didn't know what to say and what to do because she is not a first generation Asian American. She is an immigrant. And she like I covered in my Asian identity crisis episode, she will never know what it's really like to walk the fine lines between being too Asian or too white or, or or less Asian and more white or more more or less than the other. Mm -hmm. And I just think that your parents' intention may have been to teach you that lesson, but by you being a 13-year-old black girl, 
there are other things added that I think as parents don't think about. Yeah. Because they are not at that age anymore. They've mm-hmm. gone past it. They're in the world. They're working. They've matured. They've gone through their lessons. Who knows? Yeah. But I think to pay extra attention to these moments when we are young, I think is very important. Because For sure. it does end up you create this idea that the world isn't safe, that the world doesn't right. have my back. Right. And I agree. There are certain parts of this world that are very dark and very unsafe and violent and, and you know, horrific. But there's also a lot of love and a mm-hmm. lot of light. And I think if you can live on the vibration of the light and the love, you will attract that, right. you know, um, versus the, the latter. And so that yeah, that's tough because... I don't think their intention was to make you feel unsafe. Oh, and definitely you, not. You know, you were expressing yourself mm-hmm. and very innocently. And so I just imagine so many. And you, I mean, yours isn't like, it's a great example, but I can't imagine something that's even, that does involve something even deeper, oh, you know, when you're young. And if you were actually harassed or sexually assaulted or, you know, and your parents really weren't there or something like yeah, that, you know? Definitely, for then sure. It must create a whole other a whole other slew of psychological issues. Oh, without a doubt, one hundred percent. And I think that there are so many wrinkles to the nuance that is black girlhood. Yeah, a ton. That we don't necessarily prepare our black girls for and there's no. not enough legislation in place Mm-mm. to protect them. Mm-mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's not even enough conversation that I feel is happening yep. around the safety security. Yep. I mean upward mobility. We don't want to talk black I mean, girls. we've talked I don't want to beat a dead horse, but I mean if you take R. Kelly, for example, mm-hmm. that that whole like multiple decades of him doing what he did should be enough to create something in schools. I don't care even if it's a predominantly white, even even more if it's a predominantly white right. school or neighborhood, that you need to, there needs to be some sort of education in that sense of what it's like to navigate this world as a young black girl and to be ready for things that are going to come your way. Right. You know? But I think, but in order to do that, young black girls have to be assigned value. Yeah. And as we also covered in that R. Kelly episode, no one gives like a shit. No one gives a shit about young black, black yeah. girls. No, clearly. You know what I mean? Yes, clearly, I mean. Yeah. 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 Um, so where do we go from here? Which was essentially the question that all of the research that I came across was asking. It's like, yeah. this is not a new phenomenon. Where do we go from this here? <laughs> this has been happening for, for decades. Yeah. Like, wh- what do we do? And the answer of what's the call to action is... T- Essentially to create a call to action. Right. That's literally what the research has shown. What they suggest is this. This report represents a key step in addressing the disparate treatment of black girls in public systems. We challenge researchers to develop new studies to investigate the degree and prevalence of the adultification of black girls, as well as its possible casual connection with negative outcomes across a diverse range of public systems, including education, juvenile justice, and child welfare. Furthermore, we urge legislators, advocates, and policymakers to examine the disparities that exist for black girls in the education and juvenile justice systems Mm -hmm. and engage in necessary reform. 
Lastly, we recommend providing individuals who have authority over children, including teachers and law enforcement officials, with training on adultification to address and counteract this manifestation of implicit bias Mm. against black girls. Mm. Above all, further efforts must ensure that the voices of black girls themselves remain front and center on the work. So essentially, the call to action is... Speak about it. Right. Fight for it. Right. We have to make this a public conversation, a national conversation. It, yeah, I agree. Um, which, in a way, that call to action fills me with a lot of hope, but also made me sad in a way. Of course, I think I think it's it it it's it is it's very sad that uh, that it's taken this long. That it's taken this long. That. The part about educators need adultification on black girls training was really what struck me because we are allowing our young, impressionable girls at a very critical stage of life to possibly be around educators that have this implicit bias, are unaware that they hold this implicit bias, but yet are acting in such a way that will forever either help our black girls to triumph or to not yeah i mean i think there's a lot of work being done in this area but i don't think it's enough and i don't think it's how do you put this it's um right that was essentially my feeling you know, after I think a of lot like, of this yeah i think like oprah has done a lot i know michelle obama has done a lot i feel like there's a lot of black people in higher positions of politics and media and celebrities that are doing again a lot and they're just doing their best but I think it's like that trickling down you know like it trickles down to someone who may not have access to right. internet or may mm-hmm. not have access to therapy or may not have access to their parents may not even have parents yeah that yeah it's like so and we punish those kids too yeah. our juvenile justice system does completely. at least completely and so yeah there's there's a lot to be done mm-hmm. um it's interesting to see, I mean, presidential candidates and what their policies and their reform. I'm just kind of thinking ahead here, but but also what also should be done now. And um, yeah, it's 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 a, it's a real thing. It's alive and well. For sure. Like I hear you on the, the 2020 presidential debates. Yeah. But for me, I'm even thinking smaller, like within our own African-American yeah, communities. Totally. We, it feels like we have to band together. Of course. To if make sure anyone. that this education on the adultification of our girls is brought to the masses because white folks ain't going to do it. No. and There's I mean, no way. Well, of course, because it, if it's you guys are the ones experiencing it in the sense of like, I see how that can relate to you being the ones to do it because you are aware of it. For sure. You can't get them to be aware of something that they're not aware of. Until you know, totally. I mean? until you spread the message and definitely right. But I do think that this is where our white, our woke white, yellow, brown counterparts could also step up, and we can also band together. If you're listening to this and you're a teenager in school or you're in, yeah, you're uh, just browsing junior high, yeah. like yo, if you see one of your your black students, your black uh, friends being mistreated on some bullshit, and you know it's because they're black, step up and say something. Yeah. Like, have that person's back or maybe replace that person with someone who's being mistreated if they're Asian or Mexican. I think as minorities, if we're not banding together to fight for each other, not just fight against white people for our own individual causes, we're never we're never going to be that strong. No. And ultimately, in the face of white America, 
if you're not white, then you ain't right to a certain degree. To a certain degree, depending on what system we're talking about here sure. in society. And I'm thinking specifically like juvenile justice court system. Yeah, that in is. In that particular way. Yeah, that's, that's a killer right there. Yeah. Whew. Yeah, All but right. I think banding together in unity, that's, to me, that's always been the golden ticket. Yeah, yeah. I, I completely agree, a thousand percent. Yeah. That being said, guys, this episode of the Black and Yellow podcast was produced by Christian Humes at Zeitheist. I am Alana Webster at Renegade of Fun on the Gram. My name is Jacqueline Chung Young on the Gram. We're also together on Instagram at Black and Yellow Podcast. Oh, yeah, how could I forget? It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're also on iTunes and Spotify. Rate, review, subscribe. We'd love to hear from you guys. Um, if there's anything you guys want to hear us talk about, um, we'd love to know your thoughts and tune in next time. Yeah. Talk to you guys next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.